This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. As we stand, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the King who graciously speaks to us. Pray. Pour out your Holy Spirit, open our ears and our hearts to hear your voice, to belong to the truth and to belong to you. For your name's sake. Amen. So last Sunday afternoon, I was winterizing youth group. Um, We had this great summer game of nine square built of these enormous PVC pipes that a youth group dad had built for us. Um, it had been outside under the tent, but the tent was down, the pipes were in the basement underneath the church, and it was, it was time. So uh, I got this big gray receptacle on wheels, and I went down to the basement, and I packed it full of these PVC pipes sticking out in both directions. And I ramped up, I wheeled it up the ramp at speed, up outside church, and you can guess what happened. These PVC pipes flopped out, rolled out, bounced, reverberating PVC pipes, bouncing away from me into the darkness of a Sunday afternoon. And my hands were pink with the freezing rain. And I thought, please, can this at least be a sermon illustration? <laughs> but an illustration of what? Well, we are ramping up to... You don't even know what it's an illustration of what yet. (laughs) We are ramping up to the holiday season. We know that. You know, downtown, it was light-up night. And there's a Christmas tree at the back. And the youth Christmas wreath fundraiser finishes next Sunday. And there's still time to order. Forms at the back. You can do so online. And commercials are getting all Christmassy. We are entering the holiday season. And the holiday season is full of expectations. The expectations of perfect families and perfect outfits on perfect Christmas cards. The expectation of perfect presents, perfectly wrapped, perfectly delivered, perfectly enjoyed. There's the expectation of perfect meals, perfectly served and perfectly eaten. And there are movies with happy endings of perfect families and friends together. The season is full of expectations and our days are full of activities and responsibilities and end-of-year concerts and plays and deadlines and our hearts are full of aspirations and hopes and dreams and then things just get overwhelming and everything falls apart and we're left empty. Is it the most wonderful time of the year? It can be the loneliest time of the year. Loss can be felt most deeply at this time of the year. It can be the most overwhelming and the most underwhelming time of the year. Seasonal affective disorder is hitting hard. So what should we do? Is there a better way of ramping up through the holiday season that isn't overwhelming or underwhelming? This is the last Sunday before Thanksgiving. And this Thursday is gonna be my first Thanksgiving as an American citizen. So, 
I am curious to see if uh, marshmallows on sweet potato do taste differently now. <laughs> I'm not optimistic. Um, it's the last Sunday before Thanksgiving, but it is also the last Sunday in the church calendar, the liturgical calendar. This is the end of the church year. And all three readings shared a theme. And the hymn we just sung shared a theme. And the bulletin cover shared a theme. This is multi-platform messaging about Christ the King. Christ the King Sunday. The last Sunday of the year, Christ the King. And as we look at these texts together, I want us to notice two things and consider how they may help us as we ramp up to the holiday season. So the first observation is going to be taken from the Daniel reading and a little bit of the psalm, which I think is on page three of the 11 a.m. bulletin. So the prophet Daniel, whose book we read in the Old Testament, who suffered being captured and deported to an enemy, enemy empire, has a vision. And our bit of reading is part of that vision, but I'm going to take us back to the beginning when he says, I, Daniel, saw in my vision by night the four winds of heaven stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea. You can imagine that sea and the waves turbulent and tossing. He sees the sea being stirred up. Now, the sea is a symbol of chaos in ancient Jewish literature. It's a symbol of chaos, and out of this sea emerges terrifying beasts. He describes one as a winged lion, another a ravenous bear, a winged leopard with four heads, and this final terrifying creature with iron teeth and ten horns. What do they represent? Enemy empires? Rulers? Before we see what happens to these beasts, let's recognize the original readers would have really known those images, those symbols of threat would have spoken to them. But to us, different time, different place. What might be the threats that are emerging in our minds? What kind of threats on a personal level? Maybe related to health, school, work? To our relationships, our finances? Because often the ramp up to the holiday season can put pressure, increase those threats. Or maybe on a national level, what threats are coming to mind? These are those rapid and disorientating cultural changes taking our country maybe in the wrong direction? Is it the threat of the likelihood of ongoing suffering endured by those longing for change? What kind of threats are coming to mind on a global level? International conflict? New, more dangerous variants? The devastating effects of global climate change? What threats are coming to mind and what symbolizes those to you? Is it a news website front page? Is it a graph of COVID cases? Is it the social media scroll? Is it a gun? What symbolizes the threats in our world? Back to Daniel and his symbols of threat. Four great beasts came up out of the sea. And what happens to them? Turn to verse 9. As I watched, thrones were set in place. And an ancient one took his throne. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. 
and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and flowed out from his presence. A thousand thousand served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood attending him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. Here is a picture of power. The burning presence of God. Have you ever stood before an enormous bonfire and the heat hits your face? This burning throne. How do the beasts respond? The fourth beast boosts. The voice challenges the throne. Self-confident noise. Verse 11. I watched then because of the noise of the arrogant words that the horn was speaking. When I read noise, I was reminded of, you know, the screw tape letter in which screw tape describes how he hates music and silence, but how hell will be filled with furious noise. Daniel goes on, and as I watched, the beast was put to death and his body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. The picture is God on his throne, who is greater than these threats. One beast is put to death, the others lose their authority. Okay, what's that got to do with us and the holiday season? Look behind me at the Ascension mural. And read verse 13. As I watched in the night visions, I saw one like a human being coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the ancient one and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall never be destroyed. In Daniel, Jesus depicted has given dominion and glory and kingship. And Luke, in his ascension, is inviting the connection as Jesus was going up through the clouds of heaven. This is the king ascending to his throne. And we're reminded of the psalm we prayed together. Verse 4, the floods have risen, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods have lifted up their waves. It's that threatening sea of chaos. It's the rising panic. It's the emerging threats. But, verse 5, mightier than the sound of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord who dwells on high is mightier. After a heavy and extended downpour, you know the Allegheny River can be swollen and brown, rushing and turbulent, churning and violent, terrifying up close. But if you're standing up high on Highland Park Bridge, you can smile. And while we may feel overwhelmed in the midst of the turbulent river of life, Christ the King Sunday reminds us that Christ the King is not overwhelmed. Chaos does not ultimately triumph. Christ the King does. Chaos does not ultimately triumph. Christ the King does. That is the message of today. The beast will be destroyed. At the end of the church year, remember the end of the world. On the last Sunday of the church calendar, remember the last king. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. And the great promise of the Bible is that the day will come in which the king returns and makes all things new, and all violence and chaos and the threats that engulf us will be over. Will the sea of chaos be calmed? It's interesting, the writer to, of the book of Revelation in chapter 21 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the her first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. What represents chaos and threat to God's people? What is the chaos and threat that threatens you? When Jesus returns, no more. The threat will be no more. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Jesus, the last king, his fiery throne destroys the beasts. He's elevated above the sea of chaos. Chaos does not ultimately triumph. Christ the king does. That's the first thing I want us to observe. Okay, but this future day seems like an unreal proposal that is a long way off. We have the holiday season immediately before us. And it may be nice for him that the Lord who dwells on high is mightier, but for me, maybe he just feels distant. God is far off, unrelated to my normal life. How is this helping, Alex? And thus we turn to our final reading in John's Gospel. Jesus and Pilate, the Roman governor. Again, setting the scene, John's Gospel, uh, chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we read the narrative of the God-man speaking truth, doing miracles, and then the Last Supper, and then betrayed by Judas, arrested by night, arrested by the Jewish authorities bearing torches and the Roman soldiers bearing swords. And then he's marched to the high priest for questioning. And then he's marched to the Roman governor's palace in the early morning. And Pilate, the Roman governor, comes out, I think three in the morning, and questions them and here we are, verse 33. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Verse 34, Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? I mean, the fact that the chief priests were accompanying with the Roman soldiers suggests there had been some planning about this moment. Jesus points it out, and Herod squirms. Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? And just imagine that moment. Imagine it was you standing face to face alone before the local authority of this occupying force. And it's three in the morning. And you've been betrayed by one friend denied by another, arrested, and you're now being asked a question that assumes your guilt. What have you done? How would you feel? What would you say? 
Jesus is not on the fiery throne right now. He is in the hot seat. He is not elevated above the store, the sea of chaos, but he is up to his neck in trouble. And yet, he seems unthreatened. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. By saying my kingdom, he is implying he is a king. But it's a different kind of kingdom, unthreatened by threats from the likes of Pilate. And his authority, his kingdom is not imposed by force or by violence. His followers are not fighting. But he is a king. And Jesus gets, and Pilate gets the point. So if the subjects in Jesus' kingdom are not fighting, what are they doing? What should they be doing? What could we be doing as we ramp up to this holiday season? Pilate asked him, verse 37, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. We listen. To his voice. We listen to the truth. What truth? What is this truth to which Jesus testifies? So much could be said, but it's elegantly put back in verse 14. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Jesus testifies to who he is. God's son, the king, full of grace and truth. God's glory, his son, steps into our chaos. And his very identity requires that we make a choice. Either we listen to him and belong to him, the king who is unthreatened by chaos, or we shut out his voice and listen only to noise. My second observation is this. Christ the King Sunday presents us with that choice. We listen to his voice, belong to him, or we shut out his voice and hear only noise. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. What is truth? asked Pilate. And what we choose will shape not just our holiday season, but our lives and beyond. A holiday season in which we shut out his voice and hear only noise is one in which we are responding to the endless demands and expectations of others and of our cultures, whatever kind of kings we have put over us. And that always leaves us overturned and empty. Or in an underwhelming, empty season, we just fill the emptiness with the noise of distractions. So we can shut out his voice and hear only noise. Or... What would a holiday season look like if we prioritized listening to his voice? What if we could put the temporary overwhelming chaos of this season in its place before the triumphant king and listen to him? How could we do that? Alex, is there some resource that Ascension has just produced that you can recommend? 
Thanks for asking. So Father Kevin and Stacy and others, and others have put together a new booklet, Daily Prayers and Lectionary, starting in Advent next Sunday. So you've got morning prayer, midday prayer, evening prayer, and Compline, as well as the lectionary, which is a Bible reading plan. What if, instead of rolling out of bed and being kind of drawn into the chaotic river of life, we spent time reading Scripture and listening to Jesus' voice? But even if you've got the Bible, what do you have to do? So in our youth confirmation class after this Sunday, Robin Kapkara has prepared a lesson on the Lectio Divina. And she basically says, there are four things you want to do. So choose a few verses on, you know, November the 28th and beyond. Just choose a few verses. You're going to read, reflect, pray, and contemplate. You read. And as you're reading, you're praying, Lord, what word or phrase do you want to bring to my mind? It's that simple. You're praying. King Jesus, I want to hear your voice. What word or phrase do you want me to hear? You read. And then you reflect. How does this phrase connect to my life? Jesus, King, speak to me in where I am, what I'm going through. And then pray. How does this word or phrase lead you to pray back to God? Is there something to be thankful for, to be sorry about, some truth to hold on to, to pray into? And then finally, contemplate. Just be still in the presence of the King. He is more keen to speak than we are to listen. He is gracious and compassionate and patient with us. He knows what we need. The truth is that many of us are going to want to try and do this, but then there's going to be this distraction that comes, and there's going to be this thing that takes it away. Almost pray now for that opportunity. Satan will love just to drown out the voice with noise. But the king invites us to listen. My approach to life, sadly, and my approach to carrying PVC pipes up from the basement, is to stuff as much stuff as possible into the receptacle provided and push on in hope and then pick up the pieces later. But what if our approach to life was different? What if we just took one thing at a time and prayed and listened? If we had a conversation with the king as we walked through this holiday season? What if we knew that in the end all would be well? Chaos doesn't ultimately triumph. The king does. So we could serve him now and prioritize his voice. What if we spent this holiday season listening to him, paying attention to each other, and being known as people who read, reflect, pray, and contemplate, and whose 2022 is shaped accordingly? As we ramp up for this holiday season, on this Christ the King Sunday, remember this, chaos doesn't ultimately triumph. Christ the King does. So listen to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you know us. Thank you that we can hear your voice, that we can listen to the truth, that we can belong to you. Pray for everyone here, and even those watching at home, that this season might be one of renewed attention to you, that we might know you as Christ the King, that we might have peace in the midst of chaos, and that we might show that you are our King in the way that we order our lives. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and strengthen us 
In your name we pray. Amen.